Good evening and welcome to Spirit of Grace Church. I'm so glad that you could make it with us tonight on this cold February evening. We want to welcome you to the sharing of the Word of the Lord tonight. I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to look into His Word and to glean some things from Him. So happy for what happened this past Sunday. What a service that we had. Uh, God showed up in a marvelous way. We felt His glory. We saw His glory. And we were challenged by his glory to move into uh, areas that maybe we hadn't walked in a while. And so we're so thankful for that, what God's doing. As you can see behind me, we're kind of changing some things at the house. I'm moving into a new office here at, at our home. And uh, so you'll be seeing a different background tonight for all of those that have questioned the different backgrounds. Uh, we are working in our home to set us up the way we need to be set up. So we're thankful for that as well. I want to share with you tonight um, some of the things that I believe that we have to identify in order to see what we really need to see from God. Uh, the title of my message tonight is, What Happens When God Shows Up? What Happens When God Shows Up? And uh, because if we're not aware of when He shows Himself to us, and we, are, we fail to recognize when he moves and when he's there, we're going to miss the opportunities that he has for us. And, and I, know, I know that God is everywhere at all times, but when he shows up, he's always there. But when he reveals himself to us in a specific way, uh, I believe that God does some amazing things. And so I want to just share with you today, I'm actually using a Christmas story uh, to begin with. Uh, it was a Christmas morning of a couple of fifth grade boys and uh, they wanted, they had big expectations for gifts that year. Um, they had been praying and hoping and begging and asking for a go-kart. And this was the days before the four wheelers and go-karts were the thing. They woke up early one morning, which was typical and raced into the living room on that Christmas morning. And there was a lot of great stuff and they were very happy, but nowhere in sight was a go-kart that they'd longed for. And so they made the best of it. They kept a smile on their face. They were thankful for what uh, their parents had gotten them. They settled down to play with all the, the toys that they had received. Um, but around mid-morning, the telephone rang, and it was their cousin, Rodney. And he was calling to see how they'd made out at Christmas and what gifts they had gotten. And he rattled off all the things that were under the tree, and he took it all in. And then he asked about the go-kart. And these two boys said, well, it just didn't happen this Christmas. And so he asked if they'd looked everywhere, and he said, well, yeah. And uh, But what about the basement, Rodney asked them. They told him no, but doubted very much that it would be down in the basement. And he concluded the conversation, Rodney did, by emphasizing that they should go check out the basement. And so the boys decided, well, it couldn't hurt. So down the stairs they went, no go-kart was in sight. <clears throat> and so just to cover all the bases, they opened the basement door that led to a basement garage. And to their surprise, there it was, a brand new bright red double-seated go-kart with a 3.5 horsepower Briggs and Stratton motor. And after all they'd calmed down they, from going crazy, they called their cousin Roddy and told him that he was right. Only later did they realize that the phone call was set up. The boy's parents realized that they weren't going to find the go-kart, so they'd called Roddy and had him call. I, I want to use this story to illustrate kind of how we sometimes can view what we call our worship services. 
I'm thankful for the services that we have at Spirit of Grace Church, and I know there's churches all around the world that experience the same atmosphere or similar atmosphere. But we gather with certain expectations, uh, come on a Sunday service or even here tonight online, you may be coming and joining us whatever time you're watching this with an expectation to maybe hear something from God, to feel something from God, to see something from God. And unless we're dragged to church against our will, there's something that we hope for that motivates us to get us up, especially when the temperatures are below zero, when we could be just snuggling back into the warmth of our covers. But we enter the building and most of the people are friendly. And uh, hopefully all of them are, but most of them are. We see people that we don't get to see all week. The music is energetic. It's done with excellence. Uh, all of the different things that take place within the service, hopefully the message is good and all those good things. But when all is said and done and did the thing that we expected to happen actually occur? Did the service or did the time together in the presence of God meet your expectations? Um, I think that the reason most people come to a service is to experience or have an experience with the supernatural power of God. You want to touch the heart of deity. You, More plainly, you hope that God is going to show up, even though the Bible says God's there already, but you're wanting a connection. You want to hear him. You want to see him. You want to feel him. If possible, you want him to speak a word into your life or perhaps bring some kind of healing or revelation. You want God to show up or more realistically, you want to show up in the place where God is and you want that connect point. And if you're honest with yourself and if I'm honest, there are a lot of times that we come to a service together that we probably feel that he doesn't show up, that we just went through the motions that we just, we came together with an expectation of God moving. We sang our three songs, preacher preached a message, we closed and we went home and we just didn't think anything of it. There's those other services where you walk out and, you know, our terminology is kind of funny, but it's, you know, we had church today. Well, what we're really saying is there was a connection with heaven in that service. And, and when it doesn't feel that way, I have a question to ask you if, if you feel when you walk out of some services where it, you haven't felt the presence of God, you haven't connected with God, uh, and that is this, how would you know if you didn't have a connection with God? What happens when God shows up or what happens when you get connected to the God that's already there? Some believe that the sign of his presence, you know, I've, I've seen people where they fall to the floor or they shake or they laugh or they speak in tongues. For others, it may be tears of crying or tears of joy or goosebumps or at least a warm, fuzzy feeling. And you can go out from a service at any time and go anywhere and you can find services where those types of things exist and it may not have anything to do with God. You can go, uh, for me personally, I am I have always been a big hockey fan. I grew up in the late 70s and early 80s, born in 1970, and uh, I was a follower of the Olympic hockey team because of my father playing uh, in the 72 Olympics. The Olympic hockey team was huge in my household, and when I was 10 was the year the 1980 Olympic team won, and watching that game 
all of those previous definitions I felt. I felt the hair on the back of my neck stand up. I felt the goosebumps. I felt the warm, fuzzy feeling. I felt, I didn't speak in tongues that time, but I, you know what I'm saying. I felt there was feelings there that, that were inspirational when they beat the Soviet Union and then when they won the gold medal. So you can go just about anywhere, but biblically it is much more clear about what will happen when we connect to God. And, uh, uh, finding God in a worship service or in a, in a gathering together is a lot like those two brothers that were searching for their go-kart on that Christmas morning. We just need to know where to look. And so today I want to be your cousin Rodney and just tell you, check out this room one more time. So I want to begin by uh, reading from Isaiah chapter 6 verse 1. It says, In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw also the Lord sitting upon a throne, high and lifted up, and his train filled the temple. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet, and with twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. And the posts of the door moved at the voice of him that cried, and the house was filled with smoke. Then said I, Woe is me, for I am undone, because I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips, for mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. Then flew one of the seraphims unto me, having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken with the tongs from off the altar, and he laid it upon my mouth, and he said, Lo, this hath touched thy lips, and thine iniquity is taken away, and thy sin is purged. Also I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send, and who will go for us? Then said I, Here am I, send me. I want to uh, begin this study into Isaiah and when God shows up by setting or getting some ground terms uh, established. The music, there's, there's a reason why we set up our services the way that we set them up. And as anybody that attends our church knows that if God interrupts our service at any point in time, that's his prerogative and we follow him to the best of our ability. But there's a reason why we start with, with praise, why we have the praise team. We call them our praise team. Our singers get up, our instrumentalists get up, and they begin to lead the congregation in a time of praise. And the reason is, is because there is a process to draw us closer to God so that by the time the word of the Lord is preached, our hearts and our minds are in tune with that which is from heaven. And sometimes we can get these turned around and we, we don't get them right. Um, and, and I'm going to explain that here in a second. And we miss out on what God really has because we haven't prepared ourselves in the proper way to hear what God has to say. The Bible says it this way, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. As we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. He's already there. He's waiting on us. He's, he's already trying, he's already pulling and playing on your heartstrings. He's already trying to get your attention. Uh, and once you make that step towards him, man, he's running towards us. So the music that we sing at Spirit of Grace Church, from what we call our praise team, every beginning of every service when we start singing, uh, and it's commonly referred to as praise and worship. 
there's a sequence to it. Praise is what leads you to worship. You can't start worship without praise. Praise leads you to worship. Praise is when you speak or sing words uh, that honor God. And you either praise him for who he is, for what he's done or what he's going to do. But your praise is about him and it's to honor him. And worship takes place when you connect with God in the midst of those praises. So as you begin to praise God, it draws God closer to you and praise transitions, if you will, into worship when you connect with God and you meet God in those praises. In fact, the word worship can literally mean to kiss. In other words, praise is the prelude to a kiss from God, from a connection with God. It is an attitude of praise that moves us from one place into the presence of God. James writes, draw near to God, he will draw near to you. I quoted that just a minute ago. And so honoring God with words and songs draws us near to him. And uh, look how the psalmist says it in Psalm 22, 3. Yet you are wholly enthroned on the praises of Israel. The word enthroned there literally says that God dwells in the praises of his people. My mind can't really get a hold of that concept totally, but our praise brings us near to God and God near to us. And even more vividly, if you read Psalm 100, it describes a praiser ascending the mountain where the, temp, uh, where the temple is located to meet with the Lord. In Psalm 100, verse 4, it says, Enter into his gates with thanksgiving and into his courts with praise. You see, if you want to truly stand in the presence of God and connect with him in worship, your praise is what's going to get you there. And so I wonder how many of us uh, would or could experience God never do because we refuse to praise him. I've noticed throughout my ministry that in a lot of churches, there are just as many people who won't open their mouths in song or, or praise as there are that do. I'm not trying to lay guilt on anybody, but I would challenge you or, or uh, encourage you. The more you open your mouth, the more you're drawing close to him. The more you raise your hands in praise or clap your hands or focus in on him, the easier it's going to be to draw yourself to him. The path to his presence is very clear in Scripture. Thanksgiving and praise will enter into the power of worship, and worship is where God meets us. It's the prelude to the connection point with God. If you're worried about somebody hearing how you sing or what you say, I doubt if you're going to find God face to face, but God says he'll reveal himself only to them that seek for him and do it with their whole heart. And so I challenge you, if you've never done it this week, to open your mouth in praise. Don't worry about what you sound like. Just begin to praise him and see how quickly God shows up and connects with him. We've worshiped God only when we've encountered him. Um, Gene Mims, in his book, Kingdom Principles for Church Growth, said this, The purpose of worship is to come before the Lord in obedience to praise him, to hear from him, to confess to him, and to commit our lives to him. Every worship service is to be an encounter with the Lord, transcending our feelings, desires, and even our abilities to perform. And so, obviously, we want to connect with God. We want to have that connection in worship. Um, 
we want to encounter him face to face. We want, we want to sense him. And all that's well and good, but how do you know when you've encountered God? How do you know when it wasn't just another goosebump feeling? How do you know when it just wasn't another inspiration? How do we know when we've encountered God? And I want to share some of those with you because that's what we're talking about when God shows up. How do we recognize the encounter that we have with God? I believe we can do it every Sunday, hopefully every Sunday, and really every day. In a personal level, these are the same things that apply. I'm speaking to you as the pastor of a church, and so I'm coming to you somewhat from the perspective of the body of Christ called Spirit of Grace Church and those of you that join us here online. And so I want to use Isaiah chapter 6 as uh, kind of the blueprint for this message. You know that God is in the building, or you know that God is present. Um, when we grasp some feature of his character, Isaiah is telling us what happens when he's going about his normal duty in the in the temple and he begins and we read it in the year that king uzziah died i saw the lord sitting upon a throne high lifted up his train filled the temple and while he was going about these duties he got a glimpse of god i hope you noticed that it was a shock to him it floored him god pulled back the thin veil between our physical realm and the spiritual reality and isaiah saw for just a moment the big picture I'm sure his mind could not conceive what God was up to while he was going about his ministry in the temple. I'm sure he knew that God was present in that holy place, but he probably never imagined it more than just mere symbolism. But yet the veil was pulled back and he saw seraphim surrounding the throne of God. And this picture of the seraphim kind of blows the image of our angels, doesn't it? It's not just a cute little Cupid thing. It's not just... Uh, what some of our pictures depict them, but these angels have three sets of wings. One they fly uh, with, one set of wings they cover their feet, one with they cover their face because they are in the presence of a holy, holy God. And that is the feature of God's character that Isaiah clearly sees. God's holiness, God's holiness, its purity, his undefiled and total majesty. And in this case, the seraphim even call out this attribute that they want Isaiah to recognize when he when they say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. You see, when God shows up, when you have an encounter with God, when you go from praise to worship and you enter into that atmosphere of worship, you will grasp some feature of his character. Uh, you may become aware of a number of his attributes and characteristics, his righteousness, his justice, his faithfulness and mercy. You just have to pay attention when you go into from praise to worship. When you're driving down the street on a Monday and you've been praising and all of a sudden you encounter God in worship, you will see, if you pay attention, some aspect of his character. When the Bible is read, it's the same thing. When you, If you look and listen for what God is revealing about himself, the entire purpose of the book, the Bible, this book that we call the Bible, is really the unveiling of who God is. It's the revealing of himself to mankind. It's the creator revealing himself to those that he created in his image. Features of his character display him, themselves all the time in the prayers of others, 
You can hear it when they pray. You can hear it when they testify. You can hear it in dramas and videos, images and symbols. You just have to look for the character of God that steps forward. You don't have to be in church to discover them. Just for instance, if you just picture in your mind for just a moment, any individual that you may think has some shortcoming or scar or sickness, somebody that's been struggling, and then you recognize in your vision that that person is your child. As you realize such flaws that are in that person would make no difference to you, likewise, it goes to God. You'd love that person anyway. And so when you see God break through into that process, the impression of that thought may be something like this. You love that child despite its flaws and shortcomings. I love you even more despite your own. God steps in the room. There's an encounter with you and God, and God reveals an aspect of his character in that holy moment. As the emotions of that realization come pouring over us or into our spirit, we begin to understand the profound love of God, the heart of God. His love is enormous. His love is for you and I. And when God is in the building, you're going to sense or when God is in an encounter, when you've gone from praise into worship and you've encountered God, you will recognize an aspect of his character. Now, when he does this, it's not always going to be pleasant at first. If we look in, again in Isaiah, Isaiah was struck with awe at the sight of his holiness because in that moment where we connect with God, in that moment when God shows up in our lives and we go from praise to worship, we grasp the depth of our own sinfulness. When Isaiah saw the sight of God in his holiness, he compared himself to the holy God that he was experiencing and encountering. And here's what he said. He said, ah, woe is me, for I am undone because I am a man of unclean lips and I dwell in the midst of a people of unclean lips. For mine eyes have seen the King, the Lord of hosts. So the holiness of God revealed Isaiah's lack of holiness. When you come face to face with deity, you will understand that we do not measure up, that our holiness is filthy rags. He rightly understood, Isaiah did, that he should die. In fact, he probably expected his destruction to come at any moment when he got a glimpse or an encounter with this pure, holy God. You see, when God is in the building, when God is, when we've entered into that worship, see, everybody can praise God. But when God connects with us and we encounter God, people are convicted of their sinfulness. They don't get their toes stepped on like we say in church. They, we, we really mean they feel the full weight of the conviction of the fear of God's righteous wrath. They tend to confess their sins uh, shortly after when you have that encounter with God. An example of that is the apostle Paul before he became Paul. He was Saul in Acts chapter 9, and when God gets his attention, he has an encounter with the Lord, the bright light that shone down from heaven and blinded him. Paul said it this way, Saul of Tarsus said it this way, Lord, who art thou? And he said, I am Jesus, whom thou persecutest. And something begins to happen for the next several days where Paul, after many times of, he repents, he he has to learn, he has to be healed, he has to be forgiven. And uh, so you tend to see when you have that encounter with God, you see your own sinfulness. It makes me concerned when I hear 
all of these revivals that seem to happen in our day, but there isn't really a conviction of sin and repentance. It's just a feel-good, pat on the back, God loves you just the way you are, don't worry about change. God is an agent of change. God cannot dwell with your sin. He paid the price at Calvary for your sin. And so when you encounter the presence of God, when he shows up in your life, you're going to sense that conviction of sin. Now, let me just stop here for just a moment and say, he will not condemn you for your sin. He will convict you of your sin. And here's the way that you know there's difference. Condemnation will cause you the desire to run away from God and conviction will want to or cause you to want to run toward God. God's not in the condemning business. God is in the convicting business. Therefore, there, excuse me, therefore, there is now no condemnation according to Romans chapter 8, verse 1. But there is conviction because God is wanting to get your attention not to punish you because the punishment was already paid for at Calvary. What he's wanting to do is get you into his encounter because when you recognize your sinfulness and he convicts you of it, it leads you to the next sign that God is encountering, you are encountering God because you will grasp the depth of your sin, but you will also find forgiveness for your transgression. God will show us our sinfulness, but he's not going to leave us there. That's not the purpose of the revelation of our sinfulness. In more literal translations of the passage of Isaiah, uh, it says that he's a sinful man and a, and a member of a sinful race. Uh, he says it in King James Version, he's a man with unclean lips living among a people of unclean lips some unholy language, behavior, if you will. And we don't know what those were, but here's what God did to remedy the situation. He said, the Bible says, there flew one of the seraphim having a live coal in his hand, which he had taken from the off, off the altar and he laid it on his lips. You see, it's kind of strange language until you really understand the imagery. And that is the altar was the place where the sacrifice for sin was made. And an animal, usually a lamb, would be killed and burned there. And the life of the animal was taken as payment for the sins of that person. And this system of sacrifice looked forward to Calvary when Jesus would die on the cross so that we can permanently be forgiven. So in essence, every time you come in contact with God and you go from that praise and you come into that encounter with God and you see the grasp the depths of your sinfulness and you reach out for the forgiveness of God, it's as if God is sending the angels to Calvary and, and taking the blood that was shed for you at Calvary and applying it to your life so that you can receive the forgiveness of your sins just like uh, Isaiah did in that uh, passage of scripture that we've read. There's, there's no greater joy. I find no greater joy than watching somebody receive forgiveness for their sins. We can all, you know, intellectually know that he forgives us when we confess, but there's a difference in knowing about God's forgiveness and experiencing God for God's forgiveness. And it's, it's amazing to me. I have yet to baptize somebody that doesn't come out with a smile on their face because they feel the weight of sin and the guilt of the past and the old man and the present deeds as they come up out of the waters of baptism, they feel the lightness of it. They he, he they feel God rolling off the weight of the sin and they experience the incredible joy and lightness of his, his new yoke. He said, my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Uh, and part of that is the aspect of forgiveness. 
And so I want to encourage you to be forgiven. Let that encounter with God, and he'll reveal how how sinful we are, but he doesn't leave us there. He's revealing our sin in order for us to receive his forgiveness. But I think a lot of us get stuck there. God keeps saying we're forgiven, but we're not willing to take him at his word. We think that there should be more to it, that we should pay some penance or or, or do some time, if you will. And and however, the promise that, that is written in scripture is if we confess our sins, he who is faithful and just will forgive us of our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Jesus already paid the sins, paid for the sins. All he asks is that you trust in him, that he did it for you, and you can uh, express that through repentance and baptism. You don't have to pay for your sins per se, but there is something that God wants you to do. He does have a task for us. It's not a payment for our forgiveness. It's not a reimbursement. It's you're only, in fact, you're only going to discover this task once you've received his pardon. And when we've experienced forgiveness in God and, and, and we've, God has shown up and we have encountered him, we will hear, according to this passage in Isaiah, his call to a mission. Uh, uh, Isaiah said, also, I heard the voice of the Lord saying, whom shall I send? Who will go for us? Isaiah is called to be a prophet to his own people. His mission is thus to be the messenger of God. And this calling occurred during worship, during that encounter with God. The same thing happens in the New Testament in Acts chapter 13. It says, now there were in the church that was at Antioch certain prophets and teachers as they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Ghost said, separate me Barnabas and Saul for the work whereunto I have called them. I received this experience way back in 1981. I was 11 years old or just about 11, not quite 11. And it was in the midst of a worship service where we had sung all the praises and there was that transitional moment where we entered into the presence of God and there was an encounter with God. God showed up, or more likely, God connected with us, and I connected with God uh, in Cottage Grove, Minnesota, Camp Galilee. It was a Thursday night. It was in the heat of the summer. And uh, I could take you probably to this day up on the platform where it was. Uh, I sat up on the platform and played my horn, not because I was good, not because I was special, but because I didn't like the heat. So they had fans up on the platform. So that's where I sat. But in that moment and in that day, as I was basking in the fan, God began to deal with an 11-year-old's heart. And ever since that day, I've attempted to accomplish the mission that he called to me way back in 1981. And really, let me add this. And and I think this is probably the primary purpose of a sermon. Uh, I often say this in our service, when we get done with the songs and we're getting ready to go into the preaching, I'll, I'll invite people to be seated, and I'll say, now don't leave the spirit of worship, because the preaching is part of worship. The preaching is part of the encounter that we have with God, uh, because God is using the teaching and the preaching to move us from one spot to another in regards to mission. You may not hear him call you to Africa. He may just be telling you to reach out to the neighbor across the street. God's mission may... Uh, call you to repair broken bodies in the streets of Calcutta like Mother Teresa, but it's more likely that his mission is to call you to repair the broken relationships in your families. He might call you to be a prophet confronting the sins of a nation like Jonah, but then again, he may just be calling you to clean up your own act. Whatever the case, when God is in the building and when we have connected with him in worship, 
he will give us some course of action. And that leads me to the final point tonight. When God shows up and we really worship him and encounter him, it can be seen in the fact that we respond in obedience. So this is how we know that we've encountered God. We get uh, an aspect of his character revealed. We get an aspect of understanding of our sinfulness, an aspect of his forgiveness. We feel the call of God to do something or to act upon something, and then we respond in obedience. Isaiah gave a simple response. He said, here am I, send me. Worship, when it's real, always results in obedience to the prompting of the Lord. William Temple wrote this, and it's a little bit of a lengthy quote, but I think it's very good. He said this, quote, For worship is the submission of all our nature to God. It is the quickening of conscience by his holiness, the nourishment of mind with his truth, the purifying of imagination by his beauty, the opening of the heart to his love, the surrender of will to his purpose, and all of this gathered up in adoration, the most selfless emotion of which our nature is capable, and therefore the chief remedy for that self-centeredness, which is our original sin and the source of all actual sin. You might have to rewind that and replay that, but William Temple made that statement, and it's very, very powerful. Uh, Paul put it this way in Romans, Offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God, for this is your spiritual act of worship. So I want to challenge you, when God is in the building, we need to take our encounter with him out of the building. Worship is not confined to a place. When God shows up and you encounter him personally, you've got to take that encounter wherever you go. We mentioned on Sunday, I believe that God is calling the church to an amazing opportunity in this season to spread the power of the gospel of Christ. And I believe that great, great revival is getting ready. It's already starting, and we're seeing it. We're, we're baptizing. I think we've probably got over 20 people this Sunday to be baptized in Jesus' name, going down in the waters of baptism, coming up in newness of life. It's going to be powerful. If you're local here, we invite you to come at 1030. It's going to be a great service. But all around the world, revival is happening. People are changing. God is doing some amazing things. And I don't want to miss it. I want to recognize when God shows up because I want to have that encounter with him. So if it's your life tonight, I'm asking you, I'm encouraging you, begin to praise. Praise him with a song. Praise him with a quote. Praise him with a prayer. And then allow that praise to lead you into an encounter with God. And then you'll know that he has encountered, he has, you have an encounter with God because you will sense his character. You will see your sinfulness offset by his forgiveness, his challenge to mission, and our challenge to obey. May God richly bless you. I want to thank all of you that join us online from week to week. Even, even if you're not a member of Spirit of Grace Church, you're a member of our online family, and we welcome you so much. We love you. Have a great rest of the week, and God bless you very, very much.